Welcome to Lifegasm, Book One, Marshall's Promise. Hello, I am Evelyn Wallace, and I've spent the last three years writing, rewriting, editing, and finalizing the following pages. And I now find myself at something of a crossroads. On one side, there's the traditional publishing route, where I could spend the next three years schmoozing with agents and industry insiders and eventually hoping and praying that I catch the attention of some almighty publishing house. But the truth is, I don't really care about any of that, and I definitely don't want to wait that long. The whole purpose of writing this book has always been to simply share it with the world. And what better way to do it than through a podcast? So here we are. I plan to release one chapter a week, probably on Friday mornings. Uh, If you like what you hear, feel free to come back for more. Now let's get this party started, shall we? Lifegasm, book one, Marshall's Promise. Introduction. Love is something, if you give it away, you end up having more. Malvina Reynolds I have a friend who scares me a little. Her name is Claire, and she is a local farmer and force of nature. Claire is a gifted community organizer, an exceptionally organized thinker, and a genuinely intimidating person. In honor of her ever-well-structured, communicative disposition, I offer three snapshots of my friend in as many tidy bullet points. 1. Claire works 12-hour days, and if you know anything about farming, you know one farm hour is roughly equivalent to, I would say, three regular human hours. But when Claire feels like her work life needs a ballast, she doesn't just take the day off. Mm -mm, Nope, not Claire the farmer. Instead, she hosts an invariably clever, thematic, well-attended soiree. From her stop-making-sense annual potluck and dance-along to her adults-only talent show, Claire's fiestas are the place to be. If I go to another party where people are just standing around drinking beer, I think I'm going to scream, she once admitted. Pre-COVID, of course. Two. The local warming station slash homeless shelter was at risk of being closed for the, for the winter thanks to the petitions of one Al Adelsberger, who seemed to have mistaken poverty for criminality. Though hers was not the only call, Claire, with the decisive voice of a leader, rallied the troops to write letters to our local leadership and attend the next public town meeting en masse. The turnout was newsworthy, and the city council voted unanimously to support the station's uninterrupted operation. Number three. I've been known to dabble in amateur local theater, and I am fully aware that amateur local theater is not everybody's cup of tea. But each and every time I've landed a role, I have never once failed to see Claire's face in the audience. This one time after one of my performances in an all-female take on Henry V, uh, when I complimented Claire on how well she cleaned up, she looked down at herself and said, Thanks! I washed my feet in a spigot! (laughs) I refuse to indicate Claire's physical size, because how is it relevant? I will merely point out that I recently made a comment about her fashionable sunglasses, and she confessed they came from the kids' department. Claire is the kind of person it's hard not to want to be. And I don't mean be like, I mean be. She works hard, she's popular, she's humble, she's tiny. If I could somehow manage to be Claire, then I would magically transform into the contented, effective human I've always longed to be. Right? It's a disturbing phenomenon, of course, wishing one's existence to be the existence of another, It's disturbing in its unequivocal impossibility. No amount of wishing will ever make it so. 
So I'm not proud to admit it, but I've often come under the spell of this irrational, imprudent longing. I would learn about the inspiring contributions of, you know, people like Maya Wiley, Fran Leibowitz, Brian Mororescu, or even Claire the Farmer. And instead of feeling motivated to be my best self, I would feel dejected that I hadn't accomplished what they'd accomplished. I've lived my life incorrectly, I thought, incorrectly, because I haven't done what they've done. I've wasted my life. I missed the boat. If I can't start over, I might as well just give up. (laughs) But in October of 2016, I looked death right in the eyeballs and I woke up to truth. When I hear myself say this, I hear how it might sound arrogant or egotistical. But the moral of this story is not that I'm any more or less special than anyone else. Quite the opposite, actually. And that includes Maya Wiley, Fran Leibowitz, Brian Mororescu, and Claire the Farmer. Additionally, I make no claim to be the first or only human to have experienced such an epiphany. My experience may have been unique from more conventional awakenings in that it was not grounded in any religious tradition or psychedelic enhancement, but I don't care to belabor the uniqueness or non-uniqueness of my experience. An awakening is an awakening, and one of the fundamental tenets of truth is that it is never, never unavailable to us wherever and however we find ourselves right now in this very moment. No training or prerequisites necessary. As I sat with my dying friend, truth electrified me, revealing itself in part with four little words. Separation is an illusion. This is truth. It may seem counterintuitive, I know, but truth is truth whether it makes sense to you or not. Seven equals seven. You don't have to agree. It's still true. (laughs) Truth doesn't require your approval or understanding in order to be what it is. So, What do you do when you wake up to truth, which is the best news in the world, and you feel morally and spiritually compelled to share what you now know? How can I explain it? It was like I had discovered that your favorite restaurant was giving away free meals where the ingredients would never diminish, the chefs would never tire, and no matter how many people wanted to eat, everyone's order would arrive immediately. I wouldn't have been able to live with myself if I didn't try everything I possibly could to get the word out. Because what I knew was available was even better than magical free food. It was actual free inner peace. Over the course of the Lifegasm series, I will recount my process of waking up, breaking up, and breaking out. I will show you how I learned to follow the call of my deepest heart, even when the outside world perceived me to be crazy, which it did rather often. Rumi suggested that we be silently drawn by the stronger pull of what we truly love. So I made a lot of people uncomfortable as I experimented with the notion that my deepest heart was a more qualified commander than my trained, rational brain and the cultural norms my brain had been conditioned to trust as sacrosanct. My mind was never banished or silenced. It was simply demoted from authoritarian captain to diplomatic co-captain. And for the first time in my conscious, animate life, my deepest heart and my corporal body finally took their proper seats at the leader's table. I ended my marriage amicably. I explored my sexuality enthusiastically. I carried on my shoulder a giant painted sugar skull named Maestro, and I lived transiently, 
perpetually home and homeward bound for the better part of a year. I cast out golden threads into the golden ocean, asking with every step, every choice, am I in the right place? Am I doing the right thing? Guide me forth. I trust you. I felt at peace. I felt in balance. And also, I was a homeless divorcee with no marketable skills. And I confess, I took steps that I wouldn't take again if given the chance. Some might call these mistakes, and they wouldn't be wrong, though I would debate the semantics. I will share these missteps with you because I believe in the power of vulnerability and honesty. If my willingness to talk about my mistakes reduces the mountainous piles of worldwide unnecessary suffering by even one small notch, well, that's reason enough for me to persevere. Fair warning, there are many parts of this story that are sexually charged. This element of my spiritual journey was as much a surprise to me as it might be to you. You, and my mother, might think that sexual and spiritual lessons have nothing to do with each other, and that it is vulgar to include such subject matter in a text purportedly about the soul's awakening. But I must respectfully disagree. I'll explain more about it in the body of the book, but for now, please know to expect some pretty racy content. Okay, here's my final disclaimer. My message is always offered as an invitation, never as an imposition. If your deepest heart rejects what I'm saying, please trust your own guiding light over all other input. I will never, never force my message upon you, and I strongly encourage you to proceed cautiously, if at all, with anyone who would. Now, buckle up, buttercup. It's going to be a wild ride. <laughs> 